the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I, I think you probably noticed if you're doing any of the reading at all, or if you've ever heard about Jesus along the way before this series, you probably noticed what he consistently calls God. Everybody say it together. One, two, three. Oh, that was pretty good. Some of you just aren't comfort, confident, but I know you know this. Jesus very rarely calls God anything other than Yeah, there you go. And he does a couple other things, and he calls him the king and some other things. But mostly, when he refers to God, he calls him, one more time? And there was a reason for this. It was revolutionary at the time, and you probably know that too. Maybe you've heard some of these stories. I hope and pray that you have. But in the Old Testament, there were a few instances, we'll look at a couple of them today, where God referred to himself as Father, or some other people referred to God as a Father. But primarily, he was at this distant character, this invisible creator, untouchable kind of character. Which, unfortunately, is kind of like some of the fathers that we have around today, uh, and not what God had in mind. But Jesus had a completely different idea. And from the very first thing we had, if you missed this, this one, I encourage you to go back to that. The very first thing Jesus said that got written down was when he was 12 years old. And his parents are looking for him, and he says, didn't you know I had to be about the stuff of my father? Didn't you know that everything that I'm, I'm doing here is my father's stuff? I, I'm doing what he wants. That's why I'm here. He had this intimate relationship with God that was all about what they were doing together. It was all about who he was and who he was because of his father and who he was bringing us into, what he was going to make it possible for us to be that we could all be the children of God. And he clarified this as he went. So in Matthew 5, 9, how many have read the Sermon on the Mount ever? How many have noticed that we've gone through it several times recently in this Jesus thing because it's so foundational? Again, if you've already read it, fine. It, but it's, it's in, the, it's in the, a study guide again this week because it's just so foundational. But here's a couple examples from that massive sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In other words, when we join in this process of creating peace, not just the absence of conflict, but the actual unity, the actual wholeness that God wants in the world, when we do that, when we play a part in that somehow, we are, they go, oh, that's like God. That's when we start having a family resemblance. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How, how many, how many uh, I know there's parents here, mothers and fathers. Not all of us are, and that's wonderful. We'll talk about that in a second as well. But those of you who have, how many have ever been embarrassed by your kids in public at some point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it is. How many have been pr- proud of your kids in public, though? Yeah. It's the same parents, okay? It's the same ones. But sometimes they get it right and sometimes they don't. And when they don't get it right and they do it really loudly, really obviously, really publicly, you're like, because yeah. everybody knows that's their kid. Right? 
But this is what Jesus is saying. This is this next level thing he's introducing into the concept of how we relate to God. People think about God based on what they see his kids doing. So we better be about the stuff that he wants done. And we better not be about the stuff that he doesn't want done. Because it reflects on him, our Heavenly Father. A few verses later. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And again, throughout that Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's speaking of God as this person who sees what we do in secret and rewards what we do in secret and cares more about why we're praying than that we're praying. He'd rather us not pray out in public and show off. He'd rather us be alone and talk to him. Not that it's wrong to be in public, but he just wants us to talk to him. We've been over that recently, but this is the God, this is the father that Jesus is introducing us to. Here's something that's true about fathers. It's definitely true about God. Good fathers guide and provide. Would you say this out loud with me? Good fathers guide and provide. And let me just say this out loud before we go any further. We've been praying for you, even this morning, because I know that in this room, there are some fantastic fathers and a whole bunch of people who have grown up with amazing good Christian godly fathers. And when you hear that word, you know exactly, you have a really good idea of what God must be like because of that person, right? And I also know that the opposite is true. And everywhere in between, there are so many people in this world that did, when they hear the word father, it's a horrific idea. It's not what they want to hear. It's if, they, if God's anything like father, I don't want any part of that. I want, to, I want you to know, we've been praying for you. We get that. We, we, we understand that. But we're not judging anybody. We're just trying to go to the, to the ideal, to what God actually set up at the beginning. This is a way that Jesus taught consistently. We'll look at that in a moment as well. But I just wanted to say this on the outside. If you're already kind of bracing yourself, I don't want to hear about God the Father. I want you to know we're just pointing at what it's supposed to be. And however your human father nailed it, praise God, he did. But it was good because he was a lot like God. Are you with me? And however your, your, your earthly father just blew it completely, I am so sorry. But what the reason that hurts so bad is deep down in your DNA, deep down in your soul, you know that there's a heavenly father somewhere. And there's a hunger for that. And that's why the bad fathers hurt us so deeply. You with me? All right. So let's, keep, let's just keep going to the ideal. Say it with me one more time. Good fathers guide and provide. In the ideal biblical design of what fathers are supposed to be, children, they receive a sense of identity and a sense of responsibility, a role to play in the world from their family, both their father and their mother. And part of this process is their fathers and their mothers give them the resources and the guidance that they need to learn how to live well. 
We see this in nature. God put clues about it everywhere. Little birds teaching their babies how to fly and all kinds of good stuff like that. We see it all over the place. But all throughout scripture, he's talking to fathers and mothers. And he's saying, this is what you do. You, you provide what they need and the space they need to live and the opportunities to grow. You teach them to live well. This is how you do it. And we see Jesus modeling this strategy with his disciples and with all of us. He teaches us, when he's teaching us, he's not just saying things. He's telling stories and he's doing anything he can to make it memorable and make it make sense. And he's, he's teaching us this is how it's done. For example, in Matthew 18, if you'd like to know how to handle conflict the Jesus way, go to Matthew 18. It's in the study guide this week. But Jesus tells us exactly, this is the best way to do it. And clue, spoiler alert, it's not talk to everybody else first. It's talk to that person first. That's step one. Anyway, Matthew 19 begins right after that. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And some of you are going, wait a second, this is Father's Day, why are we talking about divorce? Pay, pay attention, we're looking at a way that Jesus teaches. We're looking at how he tells us truth, okay? So squint just a little bit, and this will make a little bit more sense. Notice their question was, "How is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Very narrow thing that's focused on their rules, their legality, their interpretation of God, and completely on the man. Notice this? Watch how Jesus turns it around in his answer. Haven't you read, and he's talking about the Bible, taking him to the Bible, not just his own opinion, even though it's the same thing. In this case, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he's bringing the woman back into the equation. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, that's a whole nother thing. That could be a whole nother sermon or series on itself. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're looking at this way that Jesus teaches. It, it, when he answers a question, he takes you back to the ideal. He takes you back to the original design. He takes you back to what God had in mind in the first place. Often, he goes back and back and back all the way to Genesis. And sometimes other places in the Old Testament. But he does this because he's like, I can't answer that question in the context that you're, you're asking it. To really know what God thinks about it, you gotta go all the way back. Is this making sense? And again, that's what we're doing with this father thing. And God was very consistent with this father image, this father idea all the way through the Old Testament. Here's a couple of examples. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. It was a command specifically to the Israelites, but there's a lot that carries through to us. Exodus 22, 22. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Why is that so wrong? 
Not only are they just human beings, and all human beings are made in the image of God and deserve our respect and kindness, but the widows and the fatherless don't have that built-in sense of identity. They don't have that built-in sense of provision in the system that God had created. Does that make sense? There's nobody who has to take care of them. So all of God's people collectively are called to take care of them. And often God is referred to as a father to them. For example, Psalm 68, 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Or Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So once again, notice when Jesus is talking about fatherhood or divorce or any issue, he's always going to speak this way. He's going to go back to the original. He's not going to say that adultery or divorce or any other sin is okay. It's not okay. What he's going to take you back to is why. It's wrong because it breaks the pattern. It breaks the image. It shatters the image of God in us. It twists it. It rots it. It messes it up. It distorts what he had in mind. These relationships he created were all about painting a beautiful picture and and, and guiding us through life within these, these systems, and they teach us stuff. And when we just derail off of that, we're on our own. We're fatherless. We're widows. That's why sin is sin. Is this tracking? And Jesus always teaches like this, and I just think it's so beautiful. Well, the, uh, let's finish up this thing that he said to the disciples about um, divorce and all that stuff and their reaction. And I've got one more thing, and then we're just going to charge through about the fathers and, a, a little bit more. But the disciples' reaction is interesting here. They said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, if... If I marry that person, I'm just stuck with them. Like, I can't divorce them. I'm stuck. Maybe I shouldn't get married at all. And, and Jesus could have just said, well, duh. <laughs> but that's not what he says. He's not like that. He takes them back to the ideal, and he brings it back into here. But look, there's more to what he says. I love this. He says, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, I I don't know who's watching online. I'm not aware of how many kids there might be, so I'm not going to go into detail, but it's a physical surgery that makes you incapable of fathering children. And Jesus is saying, some people are actually born incapable of fathering children. Some of them are made that way for some reason, somehow, by other people. Some of them choose to live that way for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who, should, who can't accept this should accept it. This is a message of hope if you're missing it to anybody here who's not a father. Maybe you wanted to be and you couldn't. 
Maybe you, you uh, there's some reason, there's some issue why you're not. Maybe you're single. Maybe for some reason somebody has mistakenly missed this kind of thing that Jesus said often and thinks that you're less than somehow because you're a single man or you're a single woman and you're not married and producing lots of children. God loves that. That's a wonderful, beautiful model of him and his church. But you are not less than if you're single. You're not less than if you do not have children. Did you hear that? In fact, Jesus is like, hey, they're, they're actually cool. If you actually just stay out of that so you can just devote everything in your life to do my stuff, the stuff of my father, that's actually really cool. But not a lot of people can handle that one. There's hope. So that's message. We're going to focus the rest of it, as we should, I think, on Father's Day, mostly on fathers. But I want you to hear with open ears and open hearts because th this goes for all of us, the mothers among us, the, the people who have never had children, the single people, the married, all of us. We can learn something because it's not just fathers who can relate to God as a heavenly father, and it's not just fathers who have somebody following them and someone that you're supposed to mentor through this life. Are we good so far? Hallelujah. Okay, let's move on. In Luke chapter 6, there's a parallel passage to the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call this the Sermon on the Plain. And as we noted a couple times uh, along the way through this very series, this, doesn't, this is not a mistake in the Bible. Luke didn't mess up. Okay, it wasn't that Jesus spoke on the mountain only just one time and he, he messed up and said it's a level place. Jesus spoke these same ideas over and over and over everywhere he went. And some of the times he spoke, it was a little more notable. So Matthew was really, really taking notes, apparently, the time that Jesus spoke on a mountain. Luke, the people he was interviewing, was, they, they, they really remember this one time when he talked on a plane. Does that make sense? Not a flying plane, like a level piece. It, well, it actually says that. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over. And in this, a lot of it sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. I love this one verse in the middle, verse 36, where he says, Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Once again, this is in a, the least words possible. He's saying, yes, sin is sin. Yes, whatever breaks God's ideal is wrong, and it's wrong for a bunch of reasons, and don't do it. But God is merciful, and you should be merciful too. He's going to give you a chance to get it right the next time, and you should give others the chance to get it right the next time. That's how he how he treats all of us, oh, because that's how his father treats us. And then in this same passage, he once again uses two beautiful images. One is about a tree, and one is about building on a foundation. And he basically says that the only way you can get good fruit is not to mess with the fruit, but to mess with the tree that grows the fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. They just naturally do. And bad trees don't bear good fruit. They bear bad fruit. You want to fix the fruit, you have to fix the tree. Does this make sense? Fathers among us, you want your kids to bear good fruit? Anybody else who's leading anybody in any capacity at ever? Consider your kid to be the tree. Prune the tree. Fertilize the tree. The fruit will come naturally. Does it make sense? 
There's also levels of this teaching. It goes through where Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit of God who produces his fruit in us. But do you get this image here? And the same thing with the, with the, um, the foundation idea. He says, build on a good foundation. No matter how well you build a house, if you build it on sand, it's going to fall. If you build it really well on a solid foundation, it will withstand the time. Uh, this, it will withstand the storms in life. I am incredibly blessed and thankful because I stand on a very firm foundation. My parents, uh, David and Sharon Pryor, have spent their whole life showing me what it looks like to follow God. They have spent their whole life uh, pruning and fertilizing this little tree and, and so many others and touching so many lives and showing in so many ways how to do that. I, 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 the, the older I get, the more people I try to serve and help through life, the more I'm aware of how incredibly blessed I have been. But I know a lot of what I know about God and about service and about life and about parenting and about almost everything from watching them. And this is, again, an encouragement to any of you, even if you're not married, if you're not raising children yourself, there are always people watching you, whether you like it or not, whether you want them to or not. And they're learning from your example. Make it a good example. Here's the second big idea, and uh, there's only two today. There's several smaller ideas. There's only two huge ones. Let's say this one out loud together again. Good fathers discipline effectively. One more time. Good fathers discipline effectively. Like our Heavenly Father, the most successful fathers that there are live with relentless intentionality. I want to say that word again, that phrase, that's really important. They live with relentless intentionality. They set an example with their personal habits, their personal relationships. They prioritize God and his values over everything else. They work to build relationships with their wives and with their children and with others around them. They show their children what that looks like by intentionally doing it and including them in the process. And especially for their children, they create spaces and opportunities for them to learn and grow. Places where their children can try new things and they can succeed or fail and they're going to be okay because they still got a place to live and they still have people that love them and encourage them and will show them mercy. But they, they're learning whether they get it right or not. And again, this is the ideal. However any of you are nailing it, Praise God. However you're failing, we're not judging you. We're just saying, let's all keep pointing at this ideal. Let's keep aiming at this bullseye. This is what good fathers do. They discipline effectively. You, you can hear this vision in so many things Jesus said. For example, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And that sounds really nice and wholesome. Listen to what he says. That's the safe space where you can succeed or fail. Listen to the task that he gives them. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ooh, really, Dad? I got to do that? Yep. Because he's the king and he's our father. Matthew 10, Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission trip. 
He gives them a chance to practice long before he sends them out with the great commission and sends all of us out after them with the great commission. He lets them practice. He sends them on a short trip. He gives them everything they need to know. If they do this in response, do this. If they do this, do this. He gives them everything they need. He makes them trust him. He goes through that. And then all the way through... Um, all the way through, again, through the scriptures, there's all this just practical advice for parents, and I love that. But recently in our Sticky Faith Life Group, uh, somebody pointed out, and I, I just, it, it, it's still just swimming around my brain because I, I knew it, but the way they said it was just so beautiful. But remember, when you read Proverbs, that they are principles, not promises, okay? All of the Bible is inspired, and the Holy Spirit had a part in it, but like the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and those ones, that's God just speaking directly to us through someone. Does that make sense? That's the actual words of God. But the Proverbs, they're principles of this is kind of how, this is how life works. It's a bunch of Jewish philosophers. Yes, the Holy Spirit's speaking through them, but they're kind of saying this is how this works. It's not a promise from God directly. Do you understand the difference? And, and I, so many fathers and mothers, they feel so much guilt when their children go astray. And this is another one of those little words of comfort I want to give you today. Uh, this, this is true. It's truth. But it's not a 100% guarantee from God. It's saying this is, this is what you do in the equation. This is your job. This is what works. Kind of like how to drive safely. You can't control all the other drivers, but you can control what you do. Use your signals. Be careful. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. That said, we've got to keep moving. Here is a couple of words from Proverbs. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. See, there's, a, there's stuff saying that there's a job for the kids in this equation. And then there's also Proverbs that turn around and remind us that we all, even in the Old Testament, re respond to God in, the way, in this way. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And again, I don't know about you, I was disciplined quite a bit as a child. But I knew that my father delighted in me. I was blessed in that. And if you hear this, and that this just brings up horror, horror to you, I'm sorry. But the idea of discipline as being habits that you learn, this is just how we do life, son. And these are the consequences when you don't do life this way, son. There's power in that that we see in God himself and in healthy fathers. And this is the ideal. And healthy mothers. There's three things, three things that I, I see in, in this process. If some people don't think in threes, but some people do. So for the, anybody who likes to think one, two, three, A, B, C, it's easy. Never mind. Never, never. If you like that kind of stuff, this will make sense to you. Okay. Everybody say these three words with me. Preparation, sending, relationship. Those of you, whether you're leading anybody in any capacity, and especially since it's Father's Day, the fathers, this is what you need to do. Prepare your kids. Intentionally prepare them. Don't assume they're going to be prepared. Don't assume they know how to do anything. Teach them. And then send them. 
Send them on little trips at first. I remember one of the biggest struggles for a couple of our boys uh, was being able to buy something at the counter at a grocery store or at a, at a restaurant. We'd give them like $5 and go, go get yourself an ice cream. We'd sit there and watch. Can't, just can't go talk to this person. It was just this huge thing. But we trained them to do that. Then, then we had one son that he was like, yes, I want an ice cream. But the point was not how to do it. The point was this needs done. Does this make sense? You prepare them, you send them, you give them chances to do this. And through the whole thing, you build a relationship. We see this in Jesus and God so clearly. John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And even as Jesus was in his darkest moments, when his human side was screaming in agony, these were the moments where he was still connected deeply with his Father. Remember these verses? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There's a wonderful book called Re-Jesus by Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. You'll be hearing more about this in the next several weeks as we walk the rest of the way through this series on Jesus. But they talk about these same ideas. They have these really cool Latin titles for them. Missio Dei, Partitia Patio Christi, and Imago Dei. And if anybody speaks Latin better than me, I'm sorry. But the concept is simply this. God, to be united with God as a father, is to be united with his mission because he is a missional God. Part of what he's going to do with each of us is prepare you to live his way. And and we participate just like Jesus did. You can expect to be sent by God. We participate with Christ by allowing God the Father to send us to do the stuff that he wants done in the world. His dream is not just that we sit here and remember all the things he's done. His dream is that we join him and we do the stuff that he wants done with him, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus taught us and commanded us to do. And the image of God idea, Mago Dei, say it in any language you want, that idea is where someday, like Jesus, we will look at every single person, no matter what they look like or what they think about us, and we will be able to see somehow or another the image of God in them and offer the hope that God has given us that we can get that image restored, that he will somehow actually fix what's broken and twisted and cracked and destroyed about that image in us. But everybody has access to that. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. One last time. This is the ideal, okay? This is how an ideal father disciplines. It should remind you of God. But God does it well. I'd like to read a quick quote from another book, and I've got this in my personal library if you'd like to borrow it. Any parents out there, mothers or fathers? It's called Parenting is Heart Work by Dr. Scott Taransky and Joanne Miller. They write this, and this is another encouragement for you as we start to turn the corner and wrap up here. Listen. 
They said, keep in mind that change in thinking, and change in thinking, by the way, is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Change in our heart. Change the tree, the fruit changes. Remember that? Keep in mind that a change in thinking takes time. Don't think that you're finished just because you made some wise statements to your child. It's not just what you say. It's what your child chooses to believe that becomes his or her reality. That's so important. One of the stories that Jesus told, and we're going we're gonna to close with this and one, one last thing that he said. He told the story that we've titled it the prodigal son and several other ones. I like to call it the parable of the relentless father. Because this guy knew what he was up to. He let the one son run and just ruin his life, but welcomed him back into a relationship that was better than it ever could have been if he made him stay. And he let the other one stay, but miss most of the good that was still there on the family farm until there was a huge conflict that they had to work out. And then he welcomed him into a better relationship than he ever could have had any other way. This father had a bigger vision for his children and for their relationship with him and him with them than they ever could have imagined. More mercy, more grace than they ever could have imagined. I also want to remind you really quickly that the reason I'm so passionate about all this is because I'm on this journey with you. I am a father. Again, I, I, I admire the people who are single and I, I love and admire the people who are, don't have children and all the time and energy you can divert, use for those things. But as a father, this is why this matters so much to me. I have to, I have to live right because there's people that are watching me. I have somebody who's teamed up with me to do life and to raise these four boys. And you can, you can see there's, there's already one new family starting there. I have to do it. I have to get it right or at least do my very, 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 very best because I'm a picture of God. My, the picture of marriage that they're growing up with is my marriage. The picture of fatherhood that they're getting from me is me. I've got to get it right. And whenever I fail, thank God I've got a merciful heavenly father and a merciful family. But I can't just wing this. And neither can you. And even if you're not a father, if you're playing some other leadership role, notice the people that are following you and lead them well. Jesus said this, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Our job is to be like Jesus. Whether you're a father or play any other role, be like Jesus. Make it so that the world will see you and go, God is good. That's what's going to call your kids into it. That's going to call more kids into the family of God. We're going to give you a chance to make that decision right now. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And I hope that you make a choice in that direction. My father will be down here off camera. If you want to come forward, I will be at the back off camera. If you want to come back there and talk about a decision that God's put on your heart. But let's all make one in his direction this morning.